Hi everyone, welcome back to Linklater's first SRT podcast, Tranch Up. As you know me, I am Ruhi and as usual, I am joined by... Leanne. Hey, Leanne. Now, listeners, I know we did say we would come back after summer, but Leanne is a difficult boss. She's been keeping me very, very busy. Um, but we're back now in winter, and can I say Christmas has come early this year? Because as rightly pointed out, we do have our Christmas edition with Frank Benamou and Matt Humphrey from Barclays. Hello. Hey. Hey, Hi. Hey, guys. Well, I'm sure the market participants know you, have seen you at different industry conferences, but um, in any case, can you tell us a bit about yourself and what you do on the SRT side? Sure. So I'll start first, Frank, um, Managing Director at Barclays. I um, oversee the, the risk transfer program of the bank, uh, which is mainly colonnades, which we talk about. and and a few other things, and as well as I'm involved in a number of um, solution financing, such as commercial real estate and non-performing law. Yeah. Hi, I'm Matt Humphrey. Um, I'm a director at Barclays. Um, I work with Frank uh, in the structuring side on SRT, mostly focus on the execution of the deals, um, and also get involved with other stuff, such as other financing um, and kind of other esoteric asset classes. Okay, and big shout out to Jason Marlow, who's not with us, but he's part of the Holy Trifecta, Holy Trinity. What do we Absolutely. So I'll introduce him, although he's not there, but he's, he's on the portfolio side and he's our like, partner in uh, this wonderful adventure uh, of Colonnade. Well, listeners, we always see them together at conferences, so I assure you that is the case. Now, um, talking about Colonnade, um, Colonnade has been around for quite a few years, and we do see that as a very mature program. There are a number of issuances that are done per year, right? So it's something that industry participants are extremely familiar with. Now, when was it set up, and what was the rationale behind setting up this program? Like, what did you consider? Yeah, so, I mean, Colonnade has been set up in 2016. Interestingly, uh, we had an SRT program back in 2010, 11, 12, uh, which was called Papillon that we discontinued at the time because it wasn't achieving some of the uh, treatment we were hoping for. In 2016, we reopened the box of idea and we said, okay, we want to redevelop a new program that will uh, uh, get us to the right place. And we did Colonnade. And I think what was very interesting at the time was when we, 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 we started to develop it, uh, we didn't think it was a one-off. So we thought it was a, meant to be a program of multiple transactions over many years. And that was already kind of like front and center for us at that time. And so hence the first transaction we did was already designed in our mind as a program. And I think we were right because since 2016, we've done like roughly 50 transactions. We've hedged like 80 billion of portfolio. Uh, placed more like than eight billion of equity, so it's it's as you say we 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 are quite a repeat issuer. We we do somewhere between eight to ten transactions a year. Uh, we we also are more bilateral driven, and we are closer to kind of like twenty investors in, in our program. So I'd, I'd say that that aspect around the programmatic uh, nature of Colonnade was very early on because even in our first transaction, we already thought about how we're going to do automatic replenishment. So we wrote into the documentation how the replenishment will be done in an automated manner with the algorithm legally binding. 
we also documented what it was only our first trade, how uh, each transaction within the Colonnade program will interact with each other when you have a loss, when you have a claim, when you replenish, when you amortize. Like, do you amortize one trade over the other trade? Do you amortize them prorata? Do you allocate the loss prorata or one over the other? How do you think about holistically, not just that single trade you're doing, but every future trade and how, and because of the overlap of portfolio and features, how you're going to think about that. So we started the program, um, unsurprisingly, with an SPV structure. I think it's fair to say that all issuers, the first trade they do, involve an SPV. Uh, 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 because it's simpler, you have, uh, to some extent, it's a bit less governance uh, at, at that time, and there's so much to do that it, it, it's fine. And then from there, we, we started to build on the infrastructure, everything around regulatory reporting internally, the account, accounting reporting, and also, of course, investor reporting, how I mentioned it, the replenishment. So all of that, I would say, is we thought about it as a program, and we thought also, okay, We've documented legally as a program, but what does that mean practically from an automation standpoint and what is meant to 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 happen in the future? Yeah, I think like, to build on what, what you say, Frank, I think um, 2018 was when I think things really started to kind of accelerate in terms of the size and sophistication of the program, which is when we moved away from the SPV structure um, and started using the CLN structure, which is basically a direct issuance from Barclays balance sheet. And the reason why that became kind of that stepping stone in, in level of sophistication and kind of size for the program was because you, by removing that SPV, you remove a large amount of the, the docs that are associated with that, a, lo- a large amount of the complexity around kind of the interaction of the transaction between the different parties um, and allowed you to have a more well, a very standardized set of docs that was concentrated on the economics of the transaction, which from an investor standpoint was much easier to review. And from our standpoint and you guys as lawyers, uh, easier to review and, and process much quicker. So so 2018, we kind of, we drove that. And that what that meant was that in terms of number of transactions, we could do many more transactions in the year um, with the same team and in terms of the capacity, you know, the, the volume kind of went up. Um, and then from there, because of that, you can start thinking about the, like the efficiency of the transaction much more from a commercial perspective, um, which is when, you know, we started to, to, to consider it as, you know, a capital tool with a short lead time to execution rather than like a six month, four week, month lead time. We were starting to do things. I think the quickest one we did was like four weeks, Frank. So it was, you know, it it, it was much more kind of flexible as a program and management, I think, kind of valued it like that. And I think the the growth of the program has been phenomenal since then. And I think, you know, as a bank thinking about things and putting in the upfront time and setting up kind of the infrastructure that 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 really helps. And then, as you know, as Frank said, we've done nearly 50 trades on our program. But, you know, with that. With 50 different trades to manage, you have to start thinking about kind of a more automated process, just not just through replenishment, but in terms of the management of the trades, things like credit events, um, notices, for example, if you've got, you know, you might have the same investor across multiple transactions, but you've got different payment dates, different notices going out at different times. Um, that really, really needs automa- automation. And that's kind of what we focused on. Other things like verification, the portfolio building, other reporting, both internally and externally have all kind of materially benefited from what I would call that kind of moment where we really 
really emphasize the program through moving to the CLN. And, and if I can add, uh, for example, the, I mean, that level of automation we're, we're very proud of is, for example, the portfolio building tool. I mean, we have designed a completely new program so that we set up the parameter that we agree with investor and we get automatically a portfolio built out of that based on our universe, but it's also sold for the most optimal. So you have a bit of mass behind it, like to, it's not just a basic solver, but actually we'll find the best outcome for both parties on how we build it. That saved us a lot of time because when you start actually and you're just with a spreadsheet, that definitely takes way more time. So we, 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 we like to say our program is boring because we design it to be boring. We, Sometimes boring is good. Yeah, and I think that's the way we, we look at it because by boring, we mean it's standardized. Is, is all the transactions are very consistent between each other. And, and for us, this is the only way to automate. If we have bespoke transaction, each transaction being different, there's no way we can automate. It requires a lot of manual processing, but... Beyond the issue of the manual processing, it's just mistakes can get made. Uh, and, and, and I find that sometimes, you know, in Europe, we have a bad habit of like over negotiating every single transaction to make it bespoke. And, and we lose sight of the fact that actually there is good about standardization and keeping things simple uh, because you, 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 you're able to streamline uh, all operational processes. And so because we designed it as a program, it was also easier for us in our negotiation with investors to explain this is a program, there is a limit to what we can agree and we can change, and, and we don't want to deviate. Anything you will ask us that deviate our operational process, we will not do it. Uh, and, and we were very transparent, but the, the other side of the, of the coin on that is also because I find we have a very fair program. So we didn't try to do it very one-sided, where it's clearly way too beneficial to the bank and we say, oh, but you can't negotiate. No, we try to to be fair for all parties so that we can have that argument about there is a lot of merit of having this high uh, 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 level of, of kind of like consistency between our program, both on kind of like portfolio, both legal side. And, and that's also what, I mean, Matt was explaining how we, we can do a trade within four weeks. Well, that's because of it, right? Otherwise, that would be, we would never be able to do so. Oh, that's brilliant. And look, you've, you've touched on the fact that your documents are quite standardized, and I think that's a really good way of describing it. And clearly, you've got a lot of investors who invest in these trades time and time again. They're quite familiar with these documents. But how do you go about marketing them maybe for those investors who are not so familiar? Do you, I mean, Frank, you, you've talked about this a bit already, the fact that you make it very clear that there is limited ability to negotiate and you're offering your, your kind of standard documents, not quite as a take it or leave it, but, you know, as, as a very good and, and fair starting point. Sure. So, so I think it's actually associated with the trade itself as well, not just the legal documents. Um, I mean, the nature of how we offer the program is it's like a cross section of our lending book. So in that sense, they're quite granular transactions. Obviously, if you're making legal comments on the commercial side, then often that's around the portfolio and the, the performance of the transaction. And you know, we're, the way we think about things is that granularity certainly helps. Um, the way we also position it with investors is that the we want to do relationships and partnerships with investors. I mean, we, you know, Frank said we've done 50 transactions across 20 investors, but some of the earlier deals were club deals. Um, we've moved to bilateral trades now. And the idea being is that if you do a single trade with us, we'd love you to then do three, four, five. And I think with some investors, we're, 
we're approaching 10 now. So it's kind of building that partnership and with the standardization of the docs. I mean, you can change, obviously some things will change and certainly over time things do change. But but in terms of the core elements and how that feeds into the program and the, the level of automation and kind of the um, the professionalism and the, and the way the program performs through reporting, you know, as Frank said, no very mistakes you know don't really happen just because of the automated process and the way everything's in the system i mean that's kind of what you're buying into as an investor at least that's how we certainly say to invest and i think a lot of investors now experience very value like they value that very highly because it means that for a transaction when they review it they can model the performance they know how we're going to interact with the transaction um, in terms of our operation of it we're not the discretion is kind of taken out you have a doc you follow the doc everyone's clear and it makes a lot of you know it makes a lot of sense of both parties and we find that that relationship from there builds quite well that's really nice and certainly that's something that we see more and more investors want to build relationships it's not just one-off transactions and obviously the more we can get to that in the market the more we're going to help the credibility of the market and it's very good for everyone so I can completely see that having a more standardized program is integral to that yeah and I think one of the investors does insist on always referring to it as a risk sharing transaction as opposed to risk transfer because it's the same rationale that you share the risk and have a collaborative process yeah absolutely so first of all I want to echo what you said around transparency, because we're also big, big advocates of kind of like full transparency. I mean, that's why we're here today. We're, we're always very happy to talk about how we design our program. And, and we have very uh, frequent discussion with, you know, other issuers and conferences, etc., about how we do things, because we think that, that I think we, 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 we think that exchanges allow the, the market to grow. And also we feel that maybe we also have a, a bit of a unique position as kind of like very repetitious and one of the most active, we probably pushed things a bit further than maybe more intermittent issuer and that, that there is we lesson to be learned on, on both sides and to exchange and, 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 and to get that to, a, to an even more sophisticated state on all sides. I think that, that, that makes sense. I think, uh, and, and absolutely, as more than happy to call it resharing, I think it's absolutely the merit. Sometimes I think there is a bit of... Um, a misconception that it's just a capital play. And of course, there is a capital angle, no doubt about it. But we had like credit event each time we got paid on it. And we're very transparent about it. I mean, there was no circularity of any kind. Is is we, we had a loss, we make the claim, and we got paid. And the doc did exactly what it's supposed to, to, to do. And we think it's quite important that we're able to, to, to demonstrate that ongoing. And of course, as lawyers, there's nothing we like to hear more than the documents did what they're supposed <laughs> to do. So that's very reassuring. Good. Okay. So then maybe if we talk a bit about the documentation yeah. in terms of how that's been standardized. Yeah, no, of course. So, so I think as Matt said, I mean, we originally started with an SPV structure. I think we saw a lot of merit around CLN um, for a variety of reasons. Um, I think it simplifies some tax analysis sometimes when you have some U.S. loan involved, which was important to us. But also, it is simpler. Uh, you don't need an SPV. You don't need all the role associated with a typical SPV, um, you know, like a trustee and a collateral administrator, etc. So as such, I mean, it seems a, a bit surprising. But for example, us to do an SPV, we need to KYC. It takes time. Uh, there's always issues, you need to set up account, etc. So the CLN was much, much simpler uh, uh, for us. And I think it's fair to say we are moving 
towards now like a no SPV structure. I think we we don't do SPV structure anymore. We only do uh, uh, we only do CLN. Um, and in terms of like that standardization that we is very important to us. I think we always say pretty much all the documentation of transaction are ninety five percent the same across. We it, it it does evolve. And interestingly, when we when we sometimes it happens that we find ways to to improve certain features. Uh, and what we will do is that we will try to amend all the existing thread to reflect this new feature. So we don't really try to have some sort of bias between uh, a transaction. If we find that there was, for example, a mistake or something needs to be corrected or improved, then we will go back to all previous transactions and, 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 and amend them. And because we have a bilateral approach with investors where we have only one or two investors per deal, it's much easier for us to be able um, uh, to amend. And again, I think I come back to the earlier point around how we design it to be a program, how it works, like when you have a loss, how you allocate the loss pro rata. We even look at, we even go into documenting, for example, if we had a CDS on the same name or any form of other hedge, how we will allocate it. Uh, how do we replenish automatically? We have the algorithm step by step. We say step one, step two, step three, and 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 and, and so on. And again, with this idea of linking the documentation so that it's not perceived that Barclays has any discretion. It's we want the, the documentation to be fully objective such that we can automate it, but also in our relationship with investors, they know that we're not kind of like, we don't have any specific information more than them. And that's why we replenish in a certain way. No, it's all completely rule-based and, and fully objective. And then I would say also in maybe the way we, we build the portfolio and maybe Matt, you want to expand a bit on that? Yeah, I think so on, on the portfolio side, we, you know, as a, as a bank, we're very lucky um, with the fact that we're very centralized. So, so, and I know some other banks have different entities and they have to do transactions for each entity, which, which complicates things. But on our side, um, we're able to centralize all the portfolio, uh, in the lending universe, basically into kind of into one system and, and kind of one entity that will issue the trade, um, which which helps in terms of, as I mentioned before, the granularity. And by having like the standardized kind of treatment of the trade, more standardized treatment of the trade, it means that the way we can kind of work on introducing new features means that we can make it kind of worthwhile across the program. So one example of that is is like Modified Pro Rata, for example, was something that we introduced a few years ago. Um, and in terms of kind of demonstrating that to our regulator, you know, having the degree of standardization around the program history, so we could use that as kind of a the base, but also kind of going forward, it means that you, you have features that you can basically rely on um, you know, knowing that they they will perform as you expect um, as a result. So, so I think we're you know we're very very lucky in that sense. Obviously, investors when they you know, when they look at our transactions, um, the level of granularity means that you know if if an investor is looking for you know exposure just to a certain jurisdiction or or something like that, it's it's a bit more difficult. But but on the other hand, you know we generally give quite a unique global portfolio, um, which. You know, which is something that, that you know we we've actually worked on developing. It's something in the background that we actually we work on. We talk to our different parts of the portfolio business, and we actually look to bring in new assets to try and drive that that kind of reach of the of the trade to to give a more kind of global you know, macroeconomic transaction essentially. An example of that is, for example, when we introduce commercial real estate. I mean, historically, you have seen 
corporate loan is, uh, SRT and then commercial real estate SRT. And we decided that we were better off mixing the two uh, because of that granularity. Because generally on the commercial real estate, you, don't, you lose that granularity because only 50 assets. And that does trigger a very different dynamic in terms of discussion with investors. And we thought, let's not do that. Let's mix it with corporate loan and SME loan and have a much more kind of like diversified granular portfolio. Uh, and we feel that because of that, an investor can also have some exposure to commercial real estate, but have a very low concentration limit that we don't have in a typical CRE SRT. And so that's some of the things around Matt was saying that, that we're not particularly looking to create multiple programs. We have like our platform and we try to bring more and more assets to some extent. I mean, obviously, if tomorrow we do mortgages, it'll be a bit harder to mix, but, uh, uh, but to some extent when we can to mix and, and, and grow the pie as opposed to split it into multiple trades. Yeah. And, and I'd, I'd also say, like, for perspective, issuers who are like, thinking about starting SRT, if you, if you do trades on individual portfolios, the likelihood is, is that you're going to have quite a bespoke transaction to those individual portfolios. And if you are thinking about the operational side and the kind of having more than one transaction, as soon as you... If you, if you think about managing those transactions, like the, the level of workload kind of multiplies materially, um, I would say. And whereas if you mixed it, like in the way that we do, you, you essentially get a, pro, it, by definition, it's then programmatic because you are doing all of your kind of assets at once. Um, and therefore, you know, you, each transaction is going to be relatively similar. So therefore, you can kind of rely on the various features and, and, and in terms of communication to investors and, and kind of internally and externally with regulators or internally you um you know you're able to to have a baseline that, that you can kind of refer to look i mean clearly this is a success right and your program is only going from strength to strength which makes us happy because more transactions means we get more work <laughs> um but no we're really glad to hear that and off the top of my head i can't think of any other issue in the market uh, apologies if there is one but you know who does eight to ten issuances a year or who has that level of impressive stats um so well congratulations on how it's going and all the best and to move on to what is now Leanne's favorite uh, part of this It is my episode. favorite question. We, we've stopped arguing about who gets to ask this question. Yeah, actually. I've just given up. Um, <laughs> so look, we like to round off on a personal question because our listeners like to hear about the person behind the SRT facade. So could you each tell us what you would be doing if you were not uh, doing this every day? What would your dream alternative job be? Thanks, Frank, for volunteering <laughs> me first. Um, yeah, I, oh, it's a good question. I've I've changed my mind in terms of my career a few times in my life from, you know, when I decided to go to university when I was determined to do geography and then I decided to do engineering and then when I did engineering and then I got a job in finance. So I've kind of very, changed very a different few uh, things. Um, <laughs> I think actually I'd probably go back to doing geography because at the time I thought there wasn't much of a, I guess, the career. I thought of the career probably a bit more, whereas actually it's my kind of passion is kind of getting outside. Yeah, at the time, you know, like, doing measurements in rivers and stuff like that. I, I really enjoyed it. Um, so I would probably be like a, maybe not Dave Natter, but some, <laughs> something similar to that would be ideal for me, to be honest. And there would be a lot of work now with global warming. Yeah, well, the climate change side, yeah. I'm sure, would have uh, Lots to measure. In, increased my career potential. <laughs> yeah. So that's what you think about when you're in your big glass building. Well, actually, it's funny because I, I, if I ever retire from finance at some point, I would love to actually do a geography post-grad degree. Mm -hmm. 
like, yeah, I would, I would, yeah, I would do that. Yeah. Well, I think it's crossed for an early retirement. <laughs> yeah, no, we're not early. I'm, I'm thinking, like, thinking about when I'm 65 <laughs> or 70, you know, open university. There you go. <laughs> Amazing. And what about you, Frank? Well, I mean, funnily enough, I mean, before I started to work in finance, I was doing some um, uh, entrepreneurial courses, university and etc. And I kind of like been toying with the idea as well at the time, finance versus setting up something. So... I don't really know what field, but I, I could see like in another life or maybe in the future, who knows, like doing something more entrepreneurial, like setting up something from the ground up and see how it goes. And, and just for because I find it quite fun to to set up something uh, yourself and see how you can develop it. So I think that that probably be something I'll, I'll be interested to do. Yeah, that would be quite cool. I mean, you could probably finance him, have a setup, yeah, start maybe up. That, exactly. <laughs> He'll need the maybe, money. <laughs> exactly. Maybe uh, we'll do a geography company of some kind for global warming and we'll find a way to make it work. Yeah, you'll be the financing, <laughs> I'll be the, the hard working. Okay, <laughs> fair enough. And well, since it is our Christmas edition, I get to surprise Leanne and ask her, what's your alternative career choice? Oh, I'd definitely be a ballerina. A ballerina? Mm, having had very few ballet lessons in my life, I just <laughs> like the idea of prancing around stage and then having an early retirement myself. So. You could be practicing at the Nutcracker. I would be retired cracker. already were I a ballerina. So. Uh. Oh, well, okay. Thank you all for sharing. And on that note, listeners, I think that is our last session for this year. Keep posted. We will be back next year with a lineup of new speakers. Merry Christmas, Happy New Year, and, you know, keep crunching. Mm.